I am Daniel. And welcome to No Dice Recap Arcs 1 through 6. We're going to we're going to do this. 1 through 7. Not 1 through 7. 7 is the one that we're currently on, and by currently I mean next week we are back into it. Um, yeah. We are posting episode 27 28 28, 28. next week. Um but just before we even start, like, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody that's kind of stuck around. Um, I, when I put No Dice on hiatus, and, like, I did have to make that decision because I'm the one that does most of the editing and most of the heavy lifting um, for the export kind of, like, final process. Uh, I really didn't want to, but I ended up having several major, major clients for my own personal film work. Um, Fantastic so, for you, bad for us. Yeah, so so I super appreciate everyone that was willing to stick around um, and like listen to our Halloween episode and the show swap episode. Um, I did not intend for it to go this long, um, but it was a bit of a challenge. So I'm super excited to kind of jump back into it. Um, it is... I just, I, I don't know what else to say other than, like, thank you if you haven't listened to this show before and you want to start, like, mid-campaign. This is going to be the episode for you. Um, we are going to cover everything. Yeah, and if you want to go back and listen to, like, all of our little bits and bobs, like, definitely do that. Um, but, and I understand, like, if, if folks aren't going to jump back in. So even just thank you to people that have listened to 27 episodes like that's crazy like that's insane and i'm super super like grateful for it Mm-hmm. 27 uh over an hour episodes of us uh goofing with dice is incredible and i appreciate well i mean i already just said that she appreciates this, but I appreciate it as the person who wrote the campaign <laughs> yeah um i appreciate y'all putting up with my stupidity <laughs> um and listening to these guys have fun with it even when it doesn't make any sense and the D nerds at home are like what are you doing she has advantage <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's it's one of those things where like when we started doing it it was it was a good group of folks that we put together being like yeah we're storytellers uh, you know we all kind of know how to do this but like actually learning D D as we go is a lot for folks to have to kind of accept as a listening audience. So I'm I'm super, super grateful that that is actually something people were willing to do. Like, honest to goodness. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's jump into it. So we've got six arcs. Um, each arc is roughly four. I say roughly because we've got some that have a little more. We've got some standalones. Um, but each arc is going to be named after... Um, the card that we find in the arc. So it's like a bit of a spoiler, but too bad. <laughs> if you're listening to this, too bad. Good luck. We, we are we are six six arcs in, my dude. Um, yeah. So the the premise of the campaign is that our adventurers are trying to put together the deck of many things for reasons that will become clear as we keep going through this. Um, and for those at home who are like, the deck of many things can't be separated or it activates. I know, I get it. I figured that out way too late. Um, <laughs> this is my world now. This is my world now. Um, Good luck. So, so each arc, they go to a new place, they meet some fun new people, and they discover a card. And that card 
is what we have named the arc after. So are we ready to get started with the first arc? Ready. So arc number one is called The Moon. This arc was actually the only one that I personally did not write. Um, we used a basic campaign uh, free to use on Roll20, and we appreciate Roll20 and the people who wrote this campaign so very, very much. Um, so that's why The Moon has five episodes. Episodes one through five are um, Pocket Cookies, Al Dente Snakes, You Can't Punch Ghosts, which is disproven later. Uh, now everything <laughs> is on fire, and who is the master? Just real quick, I just want to just say that, like, you can tell the quality of our show by the episode titles. <laughs> yes, that's, yeah. I thought you were, I thought you were going to mention that the first arc is really hard to listen to because that's before we got microphones and we are all recording yes, off also our cell phones. That. <laughs> also that, but like, I, and all of these titles are based off, mostly based off of things that are said either in or out of character. Um, like, just... And you can't yep. punch go like it's just it's also good. Anyways, I just I just had to like jump in and say that because we're ta- we're talking so seriously about this you know this campaign and this podcast, yeah. which is you know there's some serious bits to it. We hit the basement pretty quickly, um, but then you sort of are like, hey, al dente snakes. <laughs> like okay, yep. are these? I think that was actually you or Lou that said, are these snakes al dente? And I'm like, well, they're killing you, so. <laughs> don't remember but yes okay continue. so um when we begin it's just the, our three players um at this point at the beginning of the campaign uh Brittany is playing a dragonborn paladin named Feywing. uh hugh is playing a halfling rogue named perry and lou is playing a tiefling bard named nana yeah lou and hugh rhyme so um, they are students of an elf known as the Master, who has trained them to be warriors and adventurers, but then the Master dies. Um, so this takes place pretty much immediately after the Master's death, because they go through her funeral and they talk about uh, her will, and it turns out that uh, the Master's name is uh, Eris... Nope. <laughs> <laughs> See? The Master's name is Alaria Feywing, and she has left her students... Um, her entire legacy if they can open the vault. So they go adventuring to discover the the tiles that will open the vault. Um, they The fir- very first place they go is they have to like climb a cliff to meet a dragonborn that lives at the top of the cliffs. Um, that's where they meet the al dente snakes. They fight the al dente snakes and um, Nana dies. Spoiler alert. Um... At this point, like, if you haven't listened to that far <laughs> It happens in, in the second oh. episode. Um, like, right away. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I kill... Let's, the hallmark of a good DM is you kill the PCs, like, immediately. Um, to be fair, I did ask Lou, like, do you want to make a new character, or I can, like, deus ex machina this. Um, and they were like, I'll just roll mm-hmm. up someone new, it's fine. Um, Ix and drops Nana. Uh yeah. Which I need to I need to preface like it's gonna get confusing for the first eight episodes. Um, God, yeah, yeah. So so, I just really 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 quick. So I I'm playing right now. Her name is Ixen. At the beginning of the campaign, her name was uh, Saris, uh, Saris, and then Feywing. she took on Feywing, um, like right at the beginning, which is because that her master died, so she was going to take on the legacy of her master. And then 
later she wants to claim her own name instead of someone else's name and that's where we get Ixen. So Ixen and Feiwing are interchangeable but also it's it's a little tough at the beginning. Feiwing has British Dragonborn has one of the most consistent character arcs in the story just as like a growing character. Um Perry is most consistent because Perry is basically this Perry grows as a character, but is also the same character. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Lou just plays two separate people. Um, so. True. So they, we drop Nan off a cliff in the very second episode. But after that, we meet Sayersha Meyer, um, who was Lou's second PC. Uh, Sayersha is an elf wizard, and she stays with us throughout the rest of the campaign thus far. Um, after several death saves, still so far so good. So far, so good. I There's one point in one of the arcs where I literally say, I don't want to kill you if I don't have to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so they fight a giant spider. They fight. Um, they climb a cliff. Uh, they do a whole bunch of stuff like that. And they finally gather all the tiles to open the vault. Um, the key to open the vault is a puzzle that spells out the name of Dawnforge. Which, who is Dawnforge? Well... We get into the vault and we learn that Alaria Feywing's real name is Eris Dawnforge. She is a legendary warrior who is fighting the Pact of the Lich. The Pact of the Lich is a group of necromancers who are entrusted with guarding the soul of a lich that has been placed into a deck of many things. There are 12 necromancers, they each have a card, and they've scattered to the four winds. Now our adventurer's job, according to their the message that their master leaves them, is to gather these cards and stop the pact from putting back together the lich. Um, Dawnforge claimed the first card, and it is in the vault. And this is why she has been killed by the pact. As the adventurers are discovering this, the very first necromancer surprises them. His name is Durham Drezal, and he sucks. Um, <laughs> and, like, we immediately forget that he exists, like, oh, yeah. after we kill him. <laughs> that's it. That's why I have so much trouble with the arcs, because I don't even consider this one the first one. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but they but fight there is Durham. a necromancer, and he does come. He does happen. He does happen, and he he's one of the only necromancers that actually does necromancy things. He has a, an army of skeletons and that sort of thing. And... Mm-hmm. They have a little bit of a battle, and then Feywing. Feywing was really affected by the revelation that her mentor was not who she said she was. So, mm-hmm. Feywing picks up the the card from the deck of many things and says, "I want my own name." And it turns out this all each of the cards is different and none of the players know what card it's going to be beforehand. I do. The card uh, that Durham Drezal and then later Eris Dawnforge were guarding was the moon card, which allows the holder to cast the wish spell 1d4 times. I rolled a 1, so um, Feywing wished for her own name and she receives a celestial word the power of which vaporizes Durham and all the skeletons. <laughs> Goodbye. 
Yep. So, uh, that's how the first arc ends, and they make the decision, the three of them, to continue on the quest and keep searching for the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, the big, the big takeaway from this arc was more of a get-to-know-you sort of thing and establishing the world and who these people are and what our goal is on this campaign going forward. Right. Do you have any commentary on the moon? I do. I think that, like, also out of narrative, this arc really solidifies kind of the way that the four of us play together. Um, mm-hmm. Because, first of all, just just coming from a player's perspective, we're, we're kind of dumb. But that's okay. <laughs> Sometimes the dice yeah. have to tell us what to do. But my self insert into... tells you that later. <laughs> when we when we have to um, when we start role playing certain things, man, like this is not where we hit any kind of basement levels. But like we can take off. Like I, honest to goodness, the arc that I decided to kind of more solidify Ixen's voice and and her character, which at the beginning was kind of stoic and then turned into this like weird, gruff, charismatic dragonborn you know girl um she like just the first the first like quote that just really hit home for everybody is there's a score between me and doors and so far doors are zero and like that it just i think that's such a good example of how we like we play together now and like even starting some of the relationship between the pcs because like for at the beginning of the beginning, Ixen does not want Sayersha as part of the group because she just lost Nana and like not having it. But like it only takes one adventure before she's like not even advent like they go to fight the spider and she, well they fight the ghost and the spider but like they fight the spider and she's like I couldn't protect you. <laughs> but then but then we have this whole like Ixen and Perry are like basically siblings. And it just it just keeps getting more intense in that regard as we go on. And then just and there's just a lot of fun stuff that develops with Ixen and Sayersha too. And this is like right at the beginning of that because it's like I don't know. There's just a lot of good stuff that happens um, from there. Ixen and Perry trained together for about a year before this adventure starts, um, and so did Nana. And then we said forget that and we ended up with a character who they literally had never met and had never trained with them. Sayersha's whole thing is she's never really been outside of the library she grew up in so that introduced a whole different dynamic where Ixen and Perry are like we know what each other are capable of but Sayersha is a tiny baby Um, so that added something really fun to the way we play yeah it really did it really really did okay so anything else about the moon Uh, I want to fight the moon okay great um (laughs) Well, if you fight the moon, then we'll be left with a void, like the second arc. I can't believe you actually took that and ran with it. <laughs> oh, the king of transitions. Uh, <laughs> Segways. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right. So arc two is the void arc. Um, this covers episodes six through episode nine. Um, the titles are Summoning Salad Bees. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Welcome to the bodega and falling backwards. This is the first arc where we get a guest. Um, We decided early on that one of the things we wanted to do with No Dice is bring on guest players and get some of our friends involved with this. So on the road, we have um, Feywing, the dragonborn, currently known as Feywing. Well, Mm -hmm. actually, 
about uh, halfway through. Yeah, okay. We'll get there. <laughs> um, Perry and Sayersha, this is Sayersha's, like, real, first real deal adventure. They head straight from um, their hometown and their master's vault to the city of Gemadine, um, which is the home of Skylark's premier fighting school. Or it was until a necromancer moved in. Ooh, spooky. Um, so they go there. They try to gather some information before they deal with the necromancer. In Gemadine, they meet uh, Sarsen, who is a uh, dark elf. I, okay, I honestly do not remember what his class actually was, but... Um, his background was charlatan, and that's kind of that kind of encompasses his whole thing. Yeah, really does. We we've had a variety of guests on this show so far. We've had several guests that like just want to be that guy yeah. and be like be the asshole. Sarson was Sarson was an asshole, but like in a fun way where yeah. Michael played with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and you know it was a fun dynamic because Sarson came in and just kind of caused chaos but the way that the party interacts with Sarsen then informs the way they interact with every other guest because Sarsen just kind of does his own thing and is out for his own interests Mm -hmm. and it affects the party's ability to trust any people that they meet um because what if they're like Sarsen so they meet Sarsen they take Sarsen along um, our reasoning for bringing our guest players along on the quest is uh, iffy at best, but whatever. Sarsen's here now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they go up to the Necromancer's Tower and they enter to find uh, the card sitting on the table. And Sarsen picks it up because that's, you know, there we are. That's just Sarsen. <laughs> yep, it, Sarsen picks it up. It uh, transforms into a magical weapon. He's like, dope, cool, everything's great. Uh, but then they, the party comes back out of the tower to see their mentor, Eris Dawnforge. So they have a really emotional conversation with their mentor, who they think faked her own death, and like, you lied about who you were, and all that sort of thing. And it's very heartfelt and confusing and emotional, and then Feywing has enough and swings on her, and it is revealed that she's actually just a bunch of bees in a trench coat? <laughs> Which is the, like, one of my fa- I mean, I have so many favorites, but, like, that specifically, I just adore so much. So that was their first clue that something was maybe not right here. Um, so once they fight off, you know, bees Dawnforge, um, <laughs> they find themselves back in the room with the cards, except now there are two of them. Um... Upon choosing another card, they find themselves in a bodega. Yeah. Now, when I say when I say bodega, I mean like legit corner store bodega type thing. Twenty nineteen um, bodega, complete with a bodega cat. Correct. Um, who talks as they the bo- should? <laughs> the bodega cat is my my vehicle as the DM if I need to deliver some information or if I want to drop some interesting magical items on my PCs, uh, I use the bodega cat. Or you just want to, ca- or you just want to call us idiots. Yes, that <laughs> is also a thing, um, because that's one of the first things the bodega cat says is like, "Are you stupid?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like just like right off the bat, and like I think most of us are like, "No." <laughs> We're also very confused. 
So the bodega cat tells them that they are in the dream plane, and they have been in the dream plane for a while. That's how they saw uh, their mentor again. Uh, that's why everything is odd. That's why magic hasn't been working correctly ever since they entered the tower. Um, there was a teleportation circle just inside the gate, so when y'all stepped through the gate, it teleported you. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out that mechanic, so somebody would be like, uh, so how did that happen? <laughs> um, and that's and that's why I say like when Lou Arcata checked, I'm like it has been done here, but not recently, because it's mm. been there for a while. Gotcha. Uh, so the Bodega Cat kind of info dumps on them like you're in the dream plane. Uh, the Necromancer is a dream lord. All this sort of thing, and then the Bodega is a construct, and the Bodega Cat is a um, a being that has sworn a debt to the necromancer. So they're stuck here in the dream plane. They look like a cat, all this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, the bodega cat allows the party to pick up any item that they would like. And it is magical in that, say, for example, um, Sayersha picks up a notebook and it may look like a notebook, but it is in truth an Ifridi bottle. Um, the Dream Bodega is one of the things that I am most proud of in this campaign because it is completely randomly generated, and I just think it's really fun. I'm really proud of the Dream Bodega, and we continue to see the Dream Bodega. Um, but not everyone is as uh, polite, let's say, as the party. <laughs> uh, Sarson attempts to steal many things in the Dream Bodega. He doesn't and they turn- stop! <laughs> He, just, he like literally he he tries to snag one thing. It turns into a mimic and bites him. They fight that mimic and then he, but he deliberately but he goes hides. And takes so many other things. Yes, every fight he hides, especially fights he starts, which is so um, great, so good, such a great character choice. And then he's very consistent and fun to play with. And then he dies. Um, <laughs> Bye, Sarson. Sarson is the only guest to this point that we have actually killed. Correct. Um, in, in, like, canon on episode. Yes. Uh, so Sarson dies in the dream bodega by his own hand. Not really. Sayersha kills him, but uh, it's his own fault. Yeah. <laughs> but he still blames Sayersha even in his death. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, so we lose our guests in, like, the third episode. And the other thing that happens in Welcome to the Bodega is... Fei Wing has been so affected by the appearance of the person that lied to her essentially her whole life mm-hmm. that she now refuses to go by Fei Wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so we, we get a lot of fun nicknames from Sarsen very quickly. Yes. <laughs> Which doesn't um, help. Because we're, we're, we're not calling her Fei Wing anymore. What are we calling her? Um, so for a whole like half an episode, it's kind of a weird the dragonborn the paladin we're not sure what to say um so this introduces the conflict with her name but then so in the in the final episode of the arc they meet the necromancer uh theana lylan uh she is the keeper of the void card which pretty much whoever touches it it takes their soul and like yeets it into a container elsewhere um Perry picks it up and 
her soul is transported into a beer can in the dream bodega. <laughs> I just need to stop you for just a minute. I just... <laughs> Any other regular D&D campaign, that sentence would have been astronomically wild. But, like, that is probably the least wild thing that happens as we continue on. Just because the bodega as a concept within this campaign is so uh, consistent that we end up kind of incorporating so much of what the bodega, like, brings to the table into the whole campaign which is fantastic but like later on we end up with hot fry healer kits which is like in the middle of a battle we're eating hot fries like just the pure like chaos and ridiculousness of what the bodega brings first of all is my favorite thing like i i can't imagine playing high fantasy without something weird involved so like this is like fantastic for me but then secondly like just Perry's in a beer can. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> That's when I listened back to it. I was like, let me set the scene for you. A dragonborn and an elf appear in a bodega. They talk to the bodega cat and then they make a beeline for the beer cooler, dump all the beer cans out and sit on the floor digging through them until they find one that they want, I guess. Um, <laughs> but they do find the beer can that Perry is in and they pour Essence of Perry back into Perry and everything is fine. They kill the necromancer Theana Lylan um, and when they're looting her tower, they find an invitation to a ball which is held by the next necromancer so that kind of leads them on to their next uh, journey. The things that they learn in this arc, this is the arc where they kind of establish at the outset, how they're going to be as a party, how they're going to address challenges as a party. We establish a lot of uh, groundwork as far as this is how we interact with guests. Mm -hmm. This is how we interact with the bodega. This is how we interact with necromancers. Um, not a lot of world building as far as the Pact of the Lich and things like that goes, but a lot of uh, party building as mm -hmm. far as dynamics go. Um, and like I said... This shaped the way that they interact with literally every other guest. Mm -hmm. There has never been... An, there, there, the next guest, anything like Sarsen, is like four arcs down the line. Yeah. But th even so, Sarsen speaks into like literally every arc from here on out. It's great. Yeah, it really, it really is. I think the thing that's interesting about this arc to me is like we establish a lot of like distrust in... <sighs> A little bit of distrust in, in Don Forge, even though we still trust the intention of the mission. Um, we, you know, distrust, quote unquote, the guests. Because we don't distrust, like, our actual friends. But we distrust yeah. the PCs that they play. Um, and so there's that involved. And that, But you would think that, like, this being the first kind of big arc adventure... Um, and then magic going wrong in the dream plane, we would distrust magic. But we don't really. We kind of, I think, like, accept the idea that it is dream dream realm rules. So we're okay moving moving on. Um, but we do, we do, there's a lot of, like, uh, distrust of, of Dawnforge and, like, oh, I don't know if these, you know, PCs have good intentions. I, and I think, too, it starts us on the road of being, like, ah, necromancers? bad which gets challenged later on but it's really like a great start to being like hey these necromancers are here to just mess everything up this was a very this was the first arc that i wrote and it is 
very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Bad necromancer, go get thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think, the only time that happens ever again. <laughs> ever again. Um, well, okay, first so, of all, that's not all your fault, though, because at, then we start getting really heady, which is fine. Like, I encourage everybody to listen. It gets fun. It's he- The role play is super great, but it does kind of get up in the, like, I wonder what all of this is about rather than, like, hey, we're going to go get the thing. Yeah. Um, so episode 10 is our one holiday episode. We spent a lot of time talking about what kind of holiday they celebrate in Skylark. Is it Christmas? Is it Yule? Is it uh, Fantasy Hanukkah? Is it Candle Nights? Uh, let's steal some other IP, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we decided on Festivus, so we steal the IP of a sitcom no one watches. Um, <laughs> oh, no one in our generation, at least. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we decided that the holiday is called Festivus, um, which none of the PCs had ever really celebrated before. But on the road to the next town, they fall in with a group of the traveling people, um, which is kind of, you know, they, they wear bright colors and it's kind of a gang of misfits that just stay on the road all the time. Um, so they fall in with the traveling people and the traveling people make a big deal out of Festivus. So they insist that the players make a big deal out of Festivus. So it give it really gave the opportunity for um, the players to think about what their characters would give each other as a gift for a holiday, mm-hmm. um, and build relationships and do something not stressful before everything gets really heavy. Yeah, um, which it does. So, Don't worry, it does get oh, heavy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's awful. But um, so Perry. We also did something that we haven't done since, which is take each of the players aside and me and them role play privately. Yeah, and because none of the none of the others knew what the gifts were going to be until oh they got gosh. them. Oh my gosh, it was so good. like listening to the episode. You would think like, oh, everybody kind of knows, but like our reactions to receiving the gifts were a hundred percent genuine, like in character, but still genuine. And that was just like I think the best just the best like there's no I, I, I don't know if there's anything else I can say like I legitimately like me as a person I was speechless and then just in character I was like I don't know what to say also I'm not play I'm not playing a very wordy character so that helps all right um Perry went very deep and like I'm trying to think of a word that's not modern sent a message rather yeah to her sister um and brought uh family heirlooms from home and gave her mother's sword to Ixen and uh, who decides to go by Ixen um, at the end of the Void arc, by the way. Yes. Um, Ixen means fire in dragon. Draconic. Not, draconic. <laughs> That's the one. I'm a which, good DM. Which is very funny because the first time I said that I was speaking in my native tongue, you, you corrected me and said draconic. So how the the turntables yeah so ixen means fire and draconic so um the dragonborn decides to go by ixen for the time being and then it just kind of sticks um for now dun, dun, dun. there's nothing no there's nothing to that <laughs> well, well. Um, so so perry gives ixen her mother's sword and sayersha her father's spell book um sayersha commissions items from people in the the traveling people and gives Perry a um a switchblade knife uh with a paralytic um on it which comes in handy in a minute mm-hmm. 
and uh, Ixen receives uh, a pair of very nice gauntlets. Um, and then Ixen go, goes very practical and uh, gives Sayersha fighting lessons, which causes Sayersha to take a level or two in fighter, and cooks a potato feast for Perry, who is a vegetarian, as we're reminded so often. So often. <laughs> and, uh, and who basically is never seen eating anything except potatoes. Uh, like, we have, there's a bit in, um, the, the Void arc, uh, where the, the pub we go into doesn't have potatoes, so there's a whole exchange with Greg the bartender about a salad, and, like, the salad, I think, is just a head of lettuce. It's very bad, um, but... This whole, like, exchange with Perry is Perry, like, doesn't hate salad, but vegetarians don't all eat just salad. <laughs> so the, the the definition of vegetarian to Perry is potato-tarian, basically. Basically. <laughs> um, so that was greatly appreciated by Perry from Ixon. Um, But that episode ends with some very sweet, like, teamwork, Star of Festivus sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and it really, it really strengthens their bond um, as a little family, which is good going into the next arc. Yeah, because uh, then... <laughs> which is when things start getting complicated. Complicated. Real quickly. Uh, arc 3 is called The Star, and it covers episodes 11 through 14. Um, our naming conventions get real clever with uh, the first episode. It's called Pub Stop to Reglin, which is exactly <laughs> what it says on the tin. Um... <laughs> And then the Skirt Goblin, text the Genie, and Joy be with you all. Um, this arc, our guest is named Ardra. She is a half-elf uh, demon hunter who became a cleric and was already traveling with the traveling people and then fell in with the gang during the trip. So they just kind of stick together during their time in Draglin, which is probably one of the guests that makes the most sense as far as why they're there. <laughs> Um, we tried. There was a there was a decent convention there. We made an attempt. Um, so they end up in the city of Deraglin, which is basically just a really big commerce center, and there's no crime and no like government, and everything's really chill. And in exchange for everyone being chill, uh, once a year, the leader of the town has a big party and invites fifty people on random draw. So and like so. She reserves a certain number of tickets for herself to just invite people, and this is how our party has an invitation, is she invited the necromancer Theana Lylan. Um, but everyone else is random draw, so it's a very big, you know, are you going to the ball? I'm going, oh my gosh. Um, so they spend a lot of time preparing for the ball and trying to figure out how they're going to infiltrate the ball. Um, which is being thrown by the second, ne- third, excuse me, see? Durham doesn't count. <laughs> Durham doesn't count! Um, I want to mention that's really funny that we, we, like, out of character, like, oh, Durham doesn't count, because then, later on, one of the necromancers, like, points out that we've literally forgotten Durham, which is very funny. It's very funny. Um, so the party is being thrown by the third necromancer who is the leader of the town um her name is salimla camarile i referred to her as salimla Ca- camarile and caramile uh 
interchangeably. I don't remember which one's the real one, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> which one's the real name? Um, so they they meet one of the other guests at the party who used to work at the manor house, and they get in with him. They talk about, you know, what do the servants wear? What do we do? Um, they go through a lot of different plans and eventually decide that Sayersha is going to disguise as Theana and use that invitation. Um, Ixen is going to be their bodyguard, and Ardra is going to dress up in a real big Gone with the Wind ass dress and uh, be Theana's plus one, and Perry is just going to <laughs> scuttle under Ardra's dress like a skirt goblin, which is why we called the episode that. Yep. Um, this, so they get in, they manage to get into the party by Ixen charming the guard at the gate. Yes. This is the first instance of Ixen's weird charm, because Ixen has two skills, and that's being charming and being punchy. Yep. Um, they're really good at, at charming, and it's still one of those things that's kind of baffling. Well, okay, first of all, out of character, it's because she's a paladin. Paladins have lots of charisma. I think in character, it's like... She does have this skill of being able to be charming, but only uses it when it's super advantageous because otherwise it's uncomfortable for her. Because, um, like, even even her charming flirting stuff is still sometimes kind of awkward, but it works. Like, even though it's awkward, it works. But, yeah, like, there's a couple times where it's been like, oh, Ixen does a charm and it actually is useful, but still funny in the way that it, it happens. But no one else is incredibly charming Sayersha's skill is like just knowing things like good at perception and insight and that kind of stuff so like Sayersha tends to know all where Ixen can on occasion be charming <laughs> Perry is uh, just there Stabby. to stab <laughs> um so they get into the party and they decide to split up and Ixen and Sayersha go to um hobnob around the party and talk to some people find some information out um specifically looking for the fellow that they talked to earlier in the arc and ardra and perry decide to break into the manor house and see what they can see this is the first instance of me saying are you splitting the party but i say it in a really normal way which is lame <laughs> this is important um, to daniel we have to establish that this line particularly it's very important to Daniel. This is one of the first instances of Ixen flirting. It goes really well and it makes Sayersha really uncomfortable. Um, which at first you might be like, well, that's because Sayersha doesn't get out a lot and she's not used to this kind of thing. But uh, it's also the foreshadowing of um, the gigantic crush Sayersha <laughs> ends up with on Ixen and vice versa. Well, actually, I was thinking about it. It's actually established in canon that Sayersha has a crush on Ixen in Festivus because... Of the fighting right. sequence. So, like, after after that, any time that Sayersha is uncomfortable when Ixen is, like, charming or is, like, or another person is charmed by Ixen, it's actually, it's straight up jealousy. It's just straight up jealousy. It is. Uh, so they, Ixen and Sayersha have a lot of good, really good interactions, but it's not very, like, plot heavy because all the plot heavy stuff is in the house yeah. with Perry and Ardra. Perry and Ardra go into the house and they run into uh, the necromancer's wife. Tobit, and they decide to knock Tobit out with uh, Perry's switchblade that she got for Festivus. I told you it'd come in handy later. Um, so they paralyze her. They Ardra and Tobit swap dresses, 
and they decide that they're going to try to convince the necromancer that Ardre is actually her wife. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, this is a plan. We don't do that. Uh, so. And then, and then it kind of turns into being Tobit's sister, which then like is the full plan later on in the arc. Although right. the, the dress thing was just odd. A lot. It is what it is. It's there. Um, so everyone, they get everyone inside, um, and everyone, by everyone, I mean everyone in the party. Yeah. And the party breaks into the vault where Salimla keeps the card. Mm -hmm. Because the card is the thing they've been looking for this whole time. Um. But we don't find the card, we just find a vault. We do find a vault, and, um, it's locked with a sound lock with a fun little keyboard on it. Sarasha tries to break into it and gets it wrong. And triggers a spell that allows Salimla to take control of her body. This spell, um, if you fail the save for it the first time, you do not get to save for it again until the person who is possessed takes damage. So I kind of assumed that what would happen is Sayersha starts swinging on the party because she immediately turns around and casts Magic Missile at the party. She, you know, she'd swing on them, they'd swing on her, and then we'd, we'd move on with our lives. <laughs> Except for... Everyone immediately was like, we don't want to hurt Sayersha, which is a fair point. Um, so Sayersha ended up being possessed by Salimla for like a lot longer than I thought. Um, which is very funny. It is very funny. Um, because what happens, I just want to be clear that what happens is, is not that Sayersha is just standing around being possessed by Salimla. She is being like held by Ixen very tightly and that's it. Just like held. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like a tantrum <laughs> child. Ixen grapples her very well, and then I can't get loose, and it's wonderful. <laughs> um, which then leads everyone to come up with a plan on the fly that they have to try to get around Solemla without her knowing it's a lie. What they come up mm. with is that Ardra is... What's her, I forgot my own character's name. Ardra Tobit? is Tobit's... Yes, Ardra is Tobit's sister, um, and she, she has come, and the party who work with the Theana Lylan, have come mm -hmm. to warn Salemla that Tobit is actually planning on killing everyone at the party and stealing all of her stuff. That's the plan. It's not a good plan, but they, they have decided that the plan is to convince Salemla that her wife is a traitor. Here's the thing. Let's go behind the screen for a minute. Let's go behind the screen. Um, when I wrote this arc, I wrote it to be... I wrote it to disrupt the party's idea of the straightforward all necromancers bad thing. Which so it does a very, 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 very good job of that. I just want to be but clear. not in the way that I thought it would. I know, I just want to be clear though. <laughs> Salemla is not the bad guy here. Tobit has always been the big bad. Tobit was always the one who was going to fight against the party. Um whereas Salemla was like, I don't care, take the card. That's how it turned out. But <laughs> <laughs> but but it was coerced because they decided to lie to a necromancer. Um, so they go upstairs and they convince... Okay, wait. We gotta back up real quick. I know. I, I skipped over the whole freaking... Like, there's a reason There's a reason that this goes the way it does. And it's because during the time in the vault, Sayersha releases the Afridi from the notebook that she picked up in the bodega. Um, right. So this... This Afridi ends up being named Lisa Frank because it's a Lisa Frank notebook, which is, again, I just love this so much. So Lisa Frank is there, 
And Sayer's just like, first of all, I love you. <laughs> That's like the first thing yeah, that happens. Yeah. Every, every sentence to Lisa Frank ends with I love you when it comes from Sayer's <laughs> Right. And then the second thing that happens is um, Sayersha asks Lisa Frank to make Tobit tell uh, Salemla the, the lie that the party has concocted. Um, and so what Lisa Frank does is goes over to Tobit and you know nothing dramatic happens but then then lisa frank says tell the truth and like as a party they were like concern but we d- we had one more go around and lisa frank says tell that truth and then we go upstairs they 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 snatched my big reveal out from under me because i was hoping that by getting lisa frank to get tobit to tell the truth that it would be revealed that this was tobit's plan all along um but <laughs> They wouldn't even let me have that. So. Well, okay, like, and and that's the, know, that's the one thing that's so disappointing is like I I know I know that that that's the actual truth, but it's so it's not really revealed in any of the episodes of this arc that like that Tobit was actually a big bad. Like it just seems like we made a big lie and it paid off, and it did it in that regard. It, it does because they managed to convince Salimla. Um, they okay, so <clears throat> let me go back. They don't convince Salemla. True. Salemla tells Perry to tell the truth, and Perry info dumps on Salemla, <laughs> and and it's not who, just a tell; who, it's a it's a command spell, right? Um, and which is why it's an info dump. It's not just like, well, it's it's Perry just vomits the entire truth. Yeah. Um, Salemla, as a necromancer, wanted to live a simpler life and wanted to put the pact of the lich and everything behind her so she comes to this town um she marries this woman she establishes this really chill kind of government um and she really enjoys her life and wanted to put all that behind her tobit on the other hand wanted like the excitement and the riches that comes with being a powerful necromancer um so it really it gets to salemla that her entire world's come crashing down because these people showed up and decided to bring back her past. Mm. Um, so she she says, you can have the card and go. I don't even want to think about it anymore. Don't worry about it. So she unlocks the vault, and when the party goes down to the vault to grab the card, she sends the goon squad after them to kill them. Um, so the, the premise was they fight uh, a squad in the basement, they fight a squad in the hall, and they fight a squad in the courtyard. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, yeah. <laughs> I pulled a graphic from the internet that included a uh, a grate in the floor of the basement uh, graphic. It's an excellent graphic, and it's so crisp and so well done and so clean. Like, it's really well designed, but... <laughs> That they decide to go through the sewer grate in the floor, and I'm like, oh, I didn't plan for this, that's fine. Uh, and said they filled in the sewers with concrete when the manor house was, was built. Um, and they said, that's okay, we have an Afridi. <laughs> and so they, they commanded the Afridi to dig out the sewer, which I then couldn't avoid. So we had a, they went down into the sewers, um, fought some sewer rats in the sewers, um, and then came up outside of the manor house. They saw the getaway of Salimla and Tobit. So Salimla and Tobit survive, um, and they have to fight some more guards. So what happens in Deraglin is they end up killing a lot of party guests that weren't originally antagonists, but then everything went down. 
and they ruined Salimla's life, and it turns out, you know, that Salimla wasn't as bad as they would have thought. So everyone ends up feeling really bad about this, Saoirse especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they they have to come to terms with the fact that they have disrupted the peace of this town and this person for something that they thought was important, but now it might not be. And also they learned that they, maybe they need to have a better plan before they go into places, or you'll end up, you know, paralyzing and taking the clothes off of a woman, apparently. <laughs> um and here's the thing. We never have a plan after that. <laughs> no. No. But at, that also becomes one of the one of the hallmarks of going forward is like, that was one of the worst things that we've yeah. ever done. Um, and also, I think the thing the thing to establish, too, here is um, when, when Ixon finds out that Perry paralyzed Tobit, she gets very, very upset. Um and then from from at, at that point in the arc to at least the beginning of the next arc, um, Perry and Nixon fight. Like, they fight, mm-hmm. I mean, they fight like siblings, but they fight, like, very hard in terms of, like, you know, that's not what we do, and we're, you know, we're trying to follow this plan, and, like, maybe we should communicate more, um, which actually kind of jumpstarts the next arc is the need for communication. Right. So, um, I kind of skipped over the card part, because mm. at a certain point, this becomes more about personal interaction than actually picking up the cards anymore. Yeah. But they do pick up a card. Uh, Salimo was the keeper of the star card. Perry picks up this card, um, and the star card increases one of your ability scores by two, which works really well, because Perry had been hoping to take a level in Druid, so her wisdom score went up, and Perry gets to multi-class as a Druid. But... Since they've crashed this giant party and they've made such a mess of things, they have to immediately run away from Draeglin, Um Because they are being pursued. Um, which sends them straight into the next arc. Um, because they run straight for the coast. Um, when we start arc four, uh, Ixen is a paladin multiclass with a fighter. Mm-hmm. Sayersha is a wizard multiclass with a fighter. And Perry is a rogue multiclass with a druid. Now, before we get into the skull, do you have any more comments on the star? Um, I was just thinking about, like, kind of the overall lesson, quote-unquote, of this arc is, like, we, first of all, learn that we're not really good at heist, heisting. And and that really never becomes something that we do. We don't become heisters. Like, we really become more of, like, uh, going, like, just, we just kind of straight try to find the card we don't really like sneak around um and then um actually something really really interesting about the end of this arc is like we think oh okay so the the necromancer got away we did kill a bunch of people in this town so we're we're fugitives now but everything like turned out fine like not great but like not as bad as like theana like we just straight up killed theana and like you know okay not great but actually, I want to bring this point into the next arc of, like, they think, ah, this town is fine. And it turns out that at least the uh, impression of the town is not fine. Right. Which is really, really interesting. Which brings us to arc four, uh, The Skull. This covers episodes 15 through 18. Uh, get fish slapped, gigantic waste of time, you fight or you die, and faith will carry you. Um, so, they party runs hellbent for the coast 
Um, they're being pursued by um, people from Duraglin. And apparently word about what happens in Duraglin gets out and it gets inflated a, a lot. Um, because they, at the coast, they discover that they are being followed by um, a half-orc cleric whose name is Dr. Gary Diggs. Dr. Gary Diggs is one of our favorite guests because um, he's, 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 he's a lot. Um, he is just so much. <laughs> so they, they run into Gary and, of course, they're like, why are you following us? And he is a... He's a cleric who is dedicated to stomping out evil. So he's heard that they burned down the town of Deraglin and that they're in league with the Necromancer and all of this stuff. And the party has to come to terms with the fact that their reputation is getting out of control. But they, um, they don't come to terms so much as just have that knowledge, at least in this arc specifically. Right. They... You know, so they explain themselves to Gary, and he's like, oh, my bad, that's not what I heard, and it get, it really gets to Sayersha that what they're doing is not being perceived as the right thing. Um, and, of course, we already established that Ix and Imperi are having a whole thing because of what happened with Tobit. Mm -hmm. So they decide that they need a break. They are going to go to the islands. And they're going to train, and they're going to take a vacation. Everything's just going to be kind of calm for a while. So the islands, the um, archipelago. Uh, <laughs> we have we have a whole thing about how I can't say that word. Um, uh, so the islands are called the Anamias, and um, I made up the word. I can't even say it. <laughs> and so uh, they decide to go down to the pirate island. It's essentially Tortuga. It's lawless. There's you know gangs everywhere. And which makes it very easy to hide out. Perry used to have some connections there, so they got that too. So they go to the island, and Perry falls in with uh, a former friend. They get a room, uh, and they, they go for drinks, and it's a lot of laughs. And then they're in the dream bodega. Which is really funny, because I say, one minute you're in the bar, and the next you're in the dream bodega. And Lou says, well, I mean, we got a room, and I said... Did you? <laughs> and Brittany goes, guys, we've been drugged. Wait, oh my god, guys, you've been... <laughs> you get really excited about the drugs. <laughs> well, I just, I felt like I needed to make sure everyone knew <laughs> there was a reason. It wasn't just a bad segue. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at segues, but not that bad. Um, so, this is the first time that they've been in the Dream Bodega since killing Theana. Um, so... They get to talk to the Bodega Cat again. Um, they pump the Bodega Cat for more information about the Pact of the Lich. Um, the Bodega Cat does not have a lot of knowledge about the Pact since they live in the Dream Plane and don't really didn't really get the details on the Necromancer that they were sworn to. Um, but essentially goes over more or less the same information that was given to them by Aris Dawnforge, which is the Pact of the Lich is a group of necromancers who serve a mighty lich and who have been entrusted with um, his soul in the form of a deck of many things. There's 12 of them. They split up. Pretty much stuff we already knew, but the Bodega Cat reiterates. So everyone's like, okay, it must be true. The Bodega Cat said it. Um, 
they bring someone else to the bodega in the form of Gary Diggs, who does not steal anything. Um, so that's nice. <laughs> He's so nice. Like, so, I think Sayers is like, or someone, Ixon says don't touch anything. Sayers is like, yeah, sometimes they tend to be mimics. And he gets really, like, frightened and, like, then yeah. just doesn't touch anything. And it's so cute. Um, and so after they get out of the bodega, they wake up in the middle of an arena. They have been kidnapped to participate in an arena fight in the Thunderdome. The Thunderdome is run by the necromancer Masala Sane, who is essentially my only my only self-insert necromancer thus far. Um, I love him. Um, I do too. He's a green dragonborn. He has dreadlocks. He wears a sleeveless tuxedo. He's a showman. Um, so he is, he puts on fights in the Thunderdome for entertainment. And so this serves a twofold purpose of being entertaining to the crowd that's gathered and also a personal vendetta because as he tells the audience and the party, um, the, these three goons and you, sir, who have made some really poor life decisions because Gary just is along for the ride. Yeah. Um, Masala feels some kind of way about the fact that, uh, Durham and Theana have been killed and uh, Salemla's life has been ruined. Salemla came to see Masala, told him what happened, so he knew to look for them, and that's how they got here. Mm-hmm. Um, which is when it's revealed that they forgot they even dealt with Durham. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's such a great moment. <laughs> we're all we're all like, who? <laughs> and Masala makes the statement that they've been gaining a reputation as warriors, which is really funny to all three of them because they don't consider themselves to be fearsome warriors at all. Um, yeah. Like, there's an incandent moment where everybody laughs at that, and Masala's like, okay, that's weird. Yeah. Um, so they go through um, a round of combat in the Thunderdome in which they fight pretty much their equals, a dragonborn, an elf, a halfling, and a half-orc. Uh, they don't kill anyone. Everyone survives, but it is a um, fight to the, the finish. So everyone is either unconscious or taps out. Yeah. Um, round two, they fight some skeletal construct that Masala has made, which is, again, the first necromancer since Durham to actually do a necromantic thing. Yeah. Um, so that's fun. Um, and then they have a conference with Masala and they talk about why he's doing this, what they want out of this, what the necromancers are even doing. Um, Masala, like Salemla, wanted to get out of the necromancy game altogether, so he's been pretty much running the Thunderdome and his gang on the island in peace for a while, but now they've shown up and they've started to disrupt everything again. Um, but, again, like Salemla, he doesn't really want to deal with the card anymore, so he says, you know what, you can just have it. And now, I don't know if this was Ixen not trusting Masala, or if it was just Ixen being like that. But Ixen decides to challenge Masala to a fight rather than just take the card and go. Um, and Masala's like, all right, bet. Don't worry. Um, and they whoop Masala's ass, man. So hard. And like, <laughs> I was messaging when So we ended up um, listening, re-listening to this arc in a very short time frame. So we're all very fresh, which is really great. But when I was listening to the, th- the Thunderdome arc, which let me not call it the Thunderdome. Hang on. What do we call the skull? Okay. When I was listening to the skull arc, um, I thought I was, I was just listening, trying to be a listener and not be in my character. And it was so clear to me that Masala like 
first, you know, said, oh, you have a reputation as fearsome warriors, which is great. And then he saw them fight and was like, oh, y'all are just the worst. Like, you're not fearsome warriors. So when Ixen challenges him to a fight, he's like, I can fucking take these guys. And immediately, like, is proven incorrect. Like, I honestly, I thought he was going to come with some goons. Like, I thought it was going to be Masala and some goons and some backup. But he he was so confident that he could beat them so easily that the fight just goes south so quickly. The reason that they don't, the reason that the party does not look like Fearsome Warriors is because this is the arc where we really come up against the fact that Sayersha doesn't like violence. Mm-hmm. Sayersha doesn't like violence. She doesn't like killing. That's why they don't kill anyone in the first round, because Sayersha is so adamant that we need to incapacitate, not kill. Correct. Um... And the fact that they either have not been doing that or have been perceived as not doing that is really getting to her. So she wants to make a statement here that we are not out to kill people. Um, so that leads Masala to like severely underestimate them. Yeah. Um, uh, Gary Diggs uh, turns him blind, and it's a lot. Yeah. Um, it's it's very sad. So Masala taps out. He's like, they won. Everything's great. Well, he- I want to be clear that like. We also didn't kill Masala. Like, at some point, Sayosha takes the reins and says, basically, we're going to WWE this. Like, stay down. Which Masala doesn't do, by the way. No, because he can't. He can't. can't. But, like, it it gets to a point where they're like, hey, we are doing a show. And I think think on some level, Masala respects that because he respects showmanship. Um, But then, yeah, he taps out and is like, okay, they won. Yeah. And so they won. They come out with with the grand prize, which is the card. Uh, Masala is the keeper of the skull card, which, um, once you touch it, releases the avatar of death that you didn't have to fight alone. Um, Sayersha picks up the card and has to fight the avatar of death. Um, but to help Sayersha, um, she calls forth the, the Freedy Lisa Frank again, um, which spawns another avatar of death locked to Lisa Frank. So Sayersha and Lisa Frank battle the avatar of death. Um, This is the, this is another one of those great no dice scenes that you just can't miss. Uh, Sayersha, Sayersha finished, Sayersha goes unconscious. I'm not going to say dies. She goes unconscious. She has to make a couple death saves, um, which makes her avatar go away. Lisa Frank has so many more hit points that their fight takes a little bit longer. So what happens is, uh, the dragonborn and the halfling rush to the elf and, like, shovel hot fries into her mouth to bring her back to life. Meanwhile, the avatar of death and a technicolor Lisa Frank genie are, like, duking it out in the background. Um, it's amazing. So good. But they, but Lisa Frank defeats the avatar, Sayersha sets Lisa Frank free, Mm -hmm. and Masala then sets the party free. Um, Gary Diggs decides to stay on the island to help the island, you know, find God, because he's a cleric. Yeah. Um, and the, the party goes on to their next stop. Where they're going, when Masala takes their hands and declares them champions, he casts a spell called Impart Knowledge, and he sends to Sayersha and a reluctant Ixen uh the next the location of the next card the location of the next necromancer the entire map to get there um and where what they need to do next so that is how they know where to go next perry did not get this information just because masala doesn't have three hands 
Um, so they move on from the islands to uh, the location of the next arc, which we'll get into in a minute. Do you have any closing uh, statements? I was thinking this is the first arc, I think, where we leave a guest player. Um, like, Ardra leaves to continue adventuring. Like, Ardra is going to do more stuff. We, like, physically, like, Gary's like, I'm staying here. Now, this happens again. Like, we have another guest player that stays in the location we were at, which is really interesting to think that, like, if we were to go back, Gary's still there doing his thing. Um, but I think that this is the first arc where we, like, leave leave a guest player at a location. Um, I also think that, like, this arc, this arc's really fun to, like, listen to. Um, it's kind of kind of easy like you don't need to have a ton of backstory to kind of understand it so if you wanted to jump in like not fully but at far enough in this arc would be a good place to start um and a great guest to start with oh great guest to start with yeah travis just killed it he had so much fun also he could not remember the name of anybody for any any reason so masala became falafel very quickly <laughs> it, well and that also brings something interesting up about ixen which ixen decides to go at ixen in like episode eight yeah but Every guest that they meet does not get to know what Ixen's name is. Um, Ixen begins introducing herself as Sir, and that's it. Yeah. L- literally, for three episodes of this arc, they fight alongside each other, and Gary never gets to know Ixen's name, and they have a very touching moment where, you know, in the middle of the arena, she just looks at him and says, my name is Ixen, um, which is the first time that she says that, first of all, but... Also, it's a mark of trust that she entrusts someone else with her name. Yeah. Um, so going forward, every time they meet someone new, it's it's just Sir. It's never... Which is really <laughs> funny because the last arc we're going to talk about, she introduces herself as Sir and immediately everyone's like, Hey, Ixen's so great. Like, like most of the time, most of the time, Sayersher and Perry are very good about saying, like, Sir and, like, like following Ixen's lead but just sometimes sometimes it's just out of their mouths just like immediately it's like hey Ixen's awesome (laughs) which is also very funny but yeah there's this 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 episode not episode this arc the skull arc is just really really good and like I think is a good example of us both goofing and hitting the basement with things because I think we really hit our stride in this arc um absolutely Because there's just some moments, like, there's just a lot of good, like, really, really good deep moments. And then, and then, you know, we have a whole conversation about what part of the anatomy is the breadbasket, which is just so good. So, so good. Um, And a lot of Sayersha Ixen stuff happens in this arc, too, because Ixen brings Sayersha back from the dead and they hug it out and it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good. Okay. So that brings us to arc five, which is the, (laughs) the Gorgon? Yeah. Gorgon. Gorgonzola. <laughs> Gorgonzola. Uh, yep, that too. <laughs> um, the thing, okay, so the card that this arc is named after is actually not called the Gorgon. It's actually called something else that I also can't pronounce, so I decided to do something that I can't pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same, it's the same thing. It's, it, you know, freaky snake person. Anyway, yeah. um, shout out to my sneeples. Uh, <laughs> so this covers... <laughs> Episodes 19 through 22. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Pub Stop, Welcome to Hell, Ballad of the Flying Snakes, Fungus Crew, and Buckwild Adventure. The party travels downriver from the coast to the town of Hell. Uh, the town of Hell is a town populated by tieflings, mainly because it's funny. Um, in, in canon and when I was writing it, it's funny. Um, 
it's the home of uh, a huge uh, whiskey distillery. So that's what the place is known for or was before um, this happened. Uh, it's also the home of the Great Library of Beth Mall. And the library is haunted. So Hell's tourism industry has kind of dropped off because people started, like, not coming back from the library. And there's freaky haunted things in there. So uh, Hell is not as booming as it used to be. So you travel downriver to Hell. Uh, the boat trip is really quiet because Ixon and Sagersha had a really emotional moment at the end of Arc 4. And they're, they spend the whole couple days on the boat trying to process like, oh wow, those are feelings that I'm having. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, Ixon, and, and they're also trying to process the fact that a necromancer info dumped a map into their head, so that's yeah. a lot too. Um... So they get to the town of Hell and are immediately beset by zombies. They also find out that their reputation precedes them. You don't call them zombies. I call them, I don't zombies, call them zombies in my notes, but they are the reason dark that dwarves who are decaying. They are not they're not zombies, which is why I deliberately never said zombies. Um uh, I well, okay, I I probably call them zombies at some point, but I tried not to say zombies because they're not. So, but they, when they come into the town, they're greeted by the sheriff who immediately says, you know, thank God you're here. You're the ones we've heard about. Can you help us? Um, so they learn two things. One, that their reputation is preceding them and they're gaining a reputation for being warriors, which is being fed by what happened in the Thunderdome. Everyone's talking about the Thunderdome fight now, which is good because they're not talking about the Deregulan thing anymore. Um, so they are being hyped up as these mighty warriors who kick the ass of a necromancer. Um, And so that makes Sayersha uncomfortable, but what makes her even more uncomfortable is that they're being known as the magic assholes. Which canonically is established in like episode three or four. No, it might even be no, it's it's uh, hang on. I wrote this down. It's episode two, one or two, because um yeah, you know what? In it is in Parabor. In Parabor, their tab at the bar is open under magic assholes. That's that's canonically when they were first called the magic assholes. I don't know if in Daniel's fiction it's because of the tab or because of like Duraglin or anything else. But who knows? Who knows? But but the the name they're getting is magic assholes, which makes Sarah really uncomfortable. But um, they they handled the the reanimated dwarves pretty handily. And um, they also meet our guest for this arc. Um, Runa Diamond Gaze is a dwarf barbarian. Um, she is in hell searching for her ancestral home and her family's heirloom hammer. Um, heirloom and hammer both start with an H, by the way, but only one of them is pronounced. So I had to like look at that for a second. <laughs> um, good. I love English. Um, so they, they meet up with Runa and she decides to go with them to the library. So they go into the library of Beth Mall and... This was this was my info dump arc pretty much, um, so this was you know we go into the library and we learn about everything we want to know, um, but this was direct. I didn't get to do as much of the library as I wanted to because we spent a bunch of time in hell, because yeah. because um, the general store in hell is named Nana's. Yes. So everyone was like, I wonder if that's Nana Nana. Right. So they they go to the general store, and it turns out the general store is run by Nana's grandson. So they have to have a whole conversation about your Nana is dead. Um, what happened? Um, his, the 
runner of the general store is named Modesty. He is also a tiefling, and he makes up a song about Nana's death called The Ballad of the Flying Snakes, which is just me yelling and pounding <laughs> on the table. <laughs> it's uh, very good. Yeah, it's something. <laughs> uh, so, they spend two whole episodes in hell, which is, I was like, well, this is more time than I want to spend here. Um, so, when, so, but eventually they get to the library, and they encounter several, um, like, reanimated creatures, they encounter specters, they encounter all kind of things. Um, the library is eat up with fungus. Mushrooms everywhere. So they can't talk too loud because of spores. Um, spores of overgrown books. It's a whole mess. Uh, Sayersha picks up a lot of different books. Um, only a few of the contents of which are actually read out loud in the podcast. Um, but I had a lot of fun coming up with uh, fun titles for books and also what was in them. So th- the party comes up with a lot of good information in this arc. Sayersha um, also picks up some books that are not relevant, like The Care and Keeping of Blink Dogs. <laughs> Blink, they do. Blink dot. What was the other one that they picked up that they thought was hilarious? Um, oh, I can't remember. There's another book that was very, very funny that we picked up that was not useful at all. Also, uh, I think that the whole aisle filled with a biography of nothing but fantasy Vanna, Vanna White is the funniest thing to me. I, <laughs> I was literally just talking about it the other day because it's like, first of all, why? But second of all, that's funny. Oh, um, um, the book about Afridis, I think, is what we yeah. also picked up. Yeet, your eternal Afridi to friend. <laughs> Which is so good. Um, so, eventually they, uh, they meet some little tiny mushrooms. Um, they meet a bunch of mushroom children, and the, they are... The mushroom children spores them, and it turns out these are tiny myconids, which I'm also probably pronouncing wrong, so doodly do. Um, it's your world now. We just mm-hmm. live in it. Archipelagos and Gorgonzola. Um, <laughs> good, good. <laughs> um, Gorgonzola rhymes with gondola. Anyway. Um, Gonzo. <laughs> Wait, no, that's IP. Sorry. <laughs> uh, TM, TM, TM. Um, the... Baby mushrooms lead them back to the archive wall, which doesn't have, which which is just a, it, where the archive should be is just a blank wall. But the baby mushrooms are convinced that there's something behind there, um, and so they have to solve a puzzle. And they enter into where the archives are, and it turns out this is where the necromancer Waxler Evol is hiding. Waxler is also a dark dwarf. Um, they have been holed up in this library for many years and have pretty much become one with the myconid mushroom circle that lives in and under the library. Um, so they are like pair bonded to the mush- the myconid sovereign named Clark. Um, no, literally one of my notes is are Waxler and Clark married in capital letters? <laughs> They're bonded for sure, if nothing else. Yeah, um, Waxler is pretty much perpetually high. Mm-hmm. And so they info dump about the Pact of the Lich. Um, so we learn that about the Lich Wars. The Lich Wars took place over a hundred years, and about ten years ago, the Lich Queen was like, "You know what? I've had enough of this." So she hired Eris Dawnforge to train the Pact of the Lich, and. The Pact of the Lich 
took the Lich King's phylactery and scattered it to the four winds so that the Lich Queen would no longer be challenged as ruler of Skylark. Um, so that was a lot. Uh, and so they had to come to terms with the fact that, like, the same person that trained them trained the pact. Um, this is not at all what we thought it was going to be. Because Waxler is another one of those necromancers just like, I'm just trying to stay out of everything. Um, Waxler moved to the library to do research on the cards and the liches and how to destroy them. Um, and then they got distracted with getting high. <laughs> um, the other thing, the other thing with that information is that, um, we learned for sure that because of Eris training the pact and then stuff happening, her girlfriend got killed by the Lich Queen and that's why she's, she changed her mind about the whole Lich situation. Right. Eris was not happy with the way things were going with the Lich Queen, but she was like, eh, whatever, it's a job. And then, um, but then the Lich Queen got Helene killed and Eris is like, alright, screw this, and started training adventurers with the explicit purpose of gathering the cards together and releasing the Lich King to begin the wars again. Um, so that's a lot that they, that the adventurers have to process. Um, also there's a card. So they decide that instead of taking and activating the card, they're going to just stick it in the bag with their others. They put it in. So Waxler started to write a book about the Lich Wars. Um, and at some point Sayersha picks up the notebook that they were using. Waxler sees that Sayersha has the book that they have been working on and then never says anything about it. <laughs> I was so sure that they were going to be like, wait a second, I need that. Well, And then they don't. There's a couple notes that are like, because I have nothing else to do, I guess, like written in the books. So it's like, maybe Waxler wasn't into it after all. They got too high and stopped caring. So they put the card in inside that notebook and stick it into Sayersha's bag and then the specter of the lich appears. Only his head. Uh, yeah, just the floating skull. Waxler had a theory that if one unactivated card was placed next to any of the other cards, a piece of the lich would appear. This theory is borne out by, you know, testing their hypothesis. <laughs> um, so a lot of things happen very quickly. Uh, one is that they the party finds out that Waxler is not as high as they have been acting. Um, and they basically have been using everyone to test a bunch of hypotheses about how this stuff is, works. Um, and then they get to speak to the Lich King directly, or the specter of him. Um, they, the party discovers that the Lich Queen is in the palace possessing the king, and that she holds two of the cards. So that she can call forth the specter of her brother and gloat whenever she wants to. They also discover that the phylactery of the Lich Queen, the thing that has her soul in it, is actually the Lich King. Uh, I have matrushka the uh, <laughs> liches. <laughs> Babushka so, dolls! <laughs> yeah, so now if, if the party would like to kill the Lich Queen, they have to put the cards together and bring out the Lich King. Just for um, clarity, that is, like, that is the end of the Lich Babushka doll line. That's it. That's where it is. Yeah, no, there are, there's not, it's not Liches all the way down. <laughs> it's just the two. 
Um, so they talk to the Lich King for a while, um, and then they discover that he won't go away until they activate the card. So, uh, they touch the card, Sayersha touches the card, and, um, it's the Gorgon card, which means that Sayersha is cursed. Um, she gets a minus two to all saving throws, which I sometimes remember. I want to be clear, too, that, like, this is also a really good moment that, um, aside from Runa, the magic assholes decide that they're all going to touch the card at the same time, which obviously doesn't work, but, um, the idea is that, like, no longer is someone just grabbing it just to grab it. It's like, we're going to try to be in this together, which backfires and blah, 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 blah. But, um, (laughs) but I just, like, there's a moment where Ixen asks Runa, like, hey, can you protect us in case something goes wrong? Like, thinking of, like, the bit where Perry's soul got, you know, yoinked out of her and, like, all that stuff. So, like, please protect us. Okay, we're all going to do this together. Um, Sayersha rolled the highest, so (laughs) Sayersha got it. But that idea of, um, kind of being in it together. Right. Um, so this arc was a lot of information and a lot of kind of complicated plot stuff, but essentially two liches and the pact, and now we have to, one of the things I wanted to do with this arc is to make the party make the choice to keep doing this. Yeah. Um, and they did, they decided they were going to go to the capital and, you know, confront the king who is possessed by the lich queen. Um, in the midst of all of this very heavy plot stuff, um, Waxler is rooting around in their room and accidentally finds Runa's hammer. Um, because it turns out that Runa's family owned the mine that the library of Beth Maul was made out of. Um, so, upon discovering this, Runa decides to stay behind in the mine, in the library and see how deep the mines go, see if she can find out more about her family history and probably kick Waxler's ass for leaving, for living in there for so long. Um, so they go out, they have a really touching goodbye moment and then she marches straight back in there and like kicks Waxler's ass. It's great. Um, <laughs> not in canon, like it's not just in canon, said in, in narration that she kicks his ass, kicks their ass. So it's, I just want to be clear, like don't listen to it expecting a, a cool fight with Runa and Waxler. no. No, Waxler would probably just, like, hide up in Clark like a tree. Yeah. Um, so that's essentially where that is going. Um, the end of this arc is really heavy because they have to make a lot of decisions about what they're going to do and where they're going to go. And there is an understanding that from here things are going to get a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, like they weren't already. But even so, they decide that they are in this together and they are going to head up to the capital and confront the king. Um, so, but before we get to the capital, is there anything else you want to say about the, uh, Gorgon? Um, just that, like, this is the second time we leave a guest kind of there where we were. Um, we learned a lot of things, but it was interesting how we retained it in terms you of- You didn't. Well, we didn't. That's what- I'm trying to be nice to everybody. I can drag myself, but not my fellow players. Um, we didn't retain it very well, um, which comes into play later because we're just like- all idiots um (laughs) sorry Hugh and Lou I love you very much um but I think it was I think for like the events of the arc as much as we were trying to learn about things like we were having issues picking up the books because they were cursed or poisoned or whatever and then we we encountered you know crazy things that would come up to us in the aisles and then we encountered the necromancer so it became 
like less of like a straight learning experience, um, which I think kind of influenced a lot of how they retained the information. Um, but we did learn a lot about, you know, the idea of like, okay, we gotta, we gotta make one lich to get them both gone. Um, in that actual arc, the Lich King, as he's a specter, says, I will sacrifice myself to stop my sister. Which, again, you know, is like, do we trust a Lich and things? But there's actually some really cool moments in the next arc that, like, will prove how we can trust the Lich King. Um, which is really interesting. Because, um, yeah, there's a lot of distrust happening, but at some point we can't not trust anyone if we're going to continue doing the mission that we're doing. So, like, figuring that out. But also... I am only a little sad that we encountered Aruna on an uh, arc that wasn't super combat heavy because she, she, she tried so hard. She wanted to, to yell in this library so so much, and she did a very good job. I'm so proud of her. But Aruna's super great. Uh, fun fun to play with Chan um, and in that whole situation. Um, but, yeah, this arc is also really good. This arc does give you a lot of information. So if you do start with the, with, um, the skull arc and then go from there, you'll kind of get most of what you're looking for. Pretty much. Like, everything before the skull is, is mainly uh, party building, not world building. Yeah. Um, speaking of world building, uh, arc six is The Flames. Um, it is the last complete arc um, that has been posted. Correct. Covers episodes 23 through 26, uh, Pub Stop, Sound Domain. Uh, the Greatest Song, Man in the Mirror, and The Tomorrow Problem. Our um, our guest this time is Tierney Fayleaf. Um, he is a half-elf bard um, who just kind of like... I, th- I feel like Tierney has the least reason to go with the party since, like, frickin' Sarsen. Um, which is funny because Tierney and Sarsen are similar in a lot of ways. Not Tierney is not an asshole at all, but he's a, ha- he's a half-elf who kind of does his own thing. Um, and they meet him under weird circumstances, so everyone is immediately suspicious because they remind him, they, he reminds them of Sarsen. Right. But they go into the city of Sandome. Here's the thing about Sandome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I came up with the name for Sandome, and I was like, listen, they never remember my names for things. Like, we've, we have, pl- we'd played Deraglin like over a year ago and they still don't know the name of Deraglin. <laughs> So I'm like, Sandome is a lot. I'm just gonna... Here's what I'm gonna do. Sandome is a is a compound word in ancient tongue that means um, royal resting place. But it's also built on a giant sand dune, so most of the, pl- the people that live there just call it Sandome anymore and don't really call it Sandome. I was like, we're gonna make things easy, because it looks like Sandome anyway, so we're just gonna... Boop. And damn, if every single person didn't remember it's called Sandome. It's a good name. I was like, ah, that's fine, too. Well, so also, the- okay, I want to preface that the reason that I remember it the most is because it is so varied. Well, okay, there's a bit right before one of the commercial breaks. Um, I don't remember which episode this is in, but um, I had John, who is um, one of the co-hosts of Home Viewing and Them's the Facts, be a bard in the corner. Like, So I just had like background noise happening, but he sang... Um, House of, House the, of the Rising, Rising Sun. Sun, but it's um a and like and he substitutes Sandome in the song, and it's and that's why I remember it the most because that first of all is incredible, and second of all it's just very catchy, so now I remember it. But um, 
I think I have the full song in the Discord. If anybody, like, jumps into there, I think you can probably find it in the Discord. But I do play a small portion of it right before the commercial break, whatever episode that that is in. It's awesome. So good. Um, So they go to Sandome, which is the capital city. It's bigger than any city they've ever been to before, which means that they're walking around with their mouths open to attract attention. Um, so th- immediately upon arriving, they attract the attention of the cops because they're hanging out with Tyranny, who is a busker, who has been run off by the cops a lot. And per- Perry throws a dagger at a-, a band of ruffians who were following them. So they come into the capital and immediately cause a disturbance. Um, and then they go to, um, they go to an inn. They have a conversation. They go to the Dream Bodega. Uh, I don't think I mentioned the Dream Bodega uh, last arc, but they did go to the Dream Bodega then. Um, they Every single arc, they've gone to the Dream Bodega except for um, the Void. Um, they go to the Dream Bodega and they, um, they talk to the Bodega Cat. Every Nothing that... No interaction they have with the Bodega Cat is as information heavy as the second time but every time they interact they build this relationship with the bodega cat um they the bodega cat is a incredibly phenomenally powerful being but they're also very lonely so this relationship that they're building with the magic assholes is very important to the bodega cat um and two it's important to the magic assholes, particularly to Ixen. Um, Ixen and the Bodega Cat have a, a really interesting dynamic, and they are becoming closer friends uh, every time they interact. And it's really sweet. But there's the reason I haven't that I haven't mentioned the Dream Bodega is because nothing like nobody dies and nothing super duper plot heavy. It's just very cute, and we get more uh, magic items. I believe in arc six is the one where Ixen picks up the hat that makes her grow a beard um, I think so let me double check fantastic. I wrote these all down because I thought that it was very like important that I write down every bodega item um, and this I worry sometimes that the bodega items are becoming superfluous somehow but this is the first arc where someone picks up something that is not fantastic in some way yes uh, Sayersha picks up a bag of taco shells that are no that uh, was a previous just, arc uh, sorry, yes. In the last arc, in our last episode, um, Sayersha picked up a bag of taco shells that was just hardtack, and I was like, well, that's boring, but then she, like, she used it as a weapon. She, like, yeeted it at a specter. Yeah. Uh, so every time they pick up something, it becomes relevant. Now, back to arc six, um, uh, Ixen's, uh, hat of dwarven kind hasn't really come in handy yet, but it could. Um. Yeah. Well, and the, the thing about I, the thing about the dwarven hat is like there's a lot of things like it's a it's a belt of dwarven kind as a hat that says I love DP, which is fantastic. Um, but it does have like a lot of it's got like pluses to constitution and like other things that are just useful. But if you wear it for an extended period of time, you grow a beard. Um, and I and that does get addressed, I believe, in either 27 or 28 about. I think it's 28. You know what? It is 28. So, so, so not to spoil anything, but the beard situation will be addressed next week. <laughs> um, so anyway, they go to the dream bodega, they interact with the bodega cat. Um, and then they end back up in the inn. 
Here's the thing about Tierney Fayleaf, though. I said he wasn't like Sarson because he's not an asshole. But Tierney does cast Charm Person on Ixen. Mm-hmm. Um, Ixen has a problem with magic in general, particularly magic being done on her. So they then have to address the whole you cast a spell on me without my consent thing. Um, so they have a, they, they have this conversation with Tierney. Like, that's not cool, bro. Um, don't do that with people. Um, and they also have a conversation about the importance of bards as far as reputation goes. Mm -hmm. The reason that Tierney attracts their attention in the first place is because he sings a song about this group of fighters who kill all the necromancers in the Thunderdome. Yeah. And the party has to be like, okay, first of all, is that really about us? Second of all, did he sing that just because we're here? Third of all, how did he know? Um, And Tierney tells them, this story is everywhere. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, This is the greatest song I've ever written because this story is so impactful to me and so many people. Um, And everyone, particularly Sarah, has to come to terms with the fact that we are getting a reputation as fighting adventurers. And we have gained this reputation for killing necromancers, even though we literally haven't killed one. In a while. while. (laughs) We did kill some. We, yeah, you killed, like, your first two, and then that's it. Yeah. Um, so they have to, like, they have to deal with this. Um, so Sayersha and Ixen in particular, but all of them, ask Tyranny along so that he can be part of their adventure and see what they're really like and tell the true story rather than just this, like, you know, slash and murder and folks. Yeah. Um. So as they're having this these sorts of deep conversations, um, Ixen is confronted by someone that she knows from her past. Uh, Ixen is the only person who has been to Sound Domain before, and the last time that she was here, she encountered um, a kid who was being bullied by uh, some 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 older folks. So she told them to get lost, and the kid swore a life debt to her. So. Um, they encounter each other again, and this young man just keeps going on and on about how Ixen turned his life around and how, like, <laughs> now he is a very important person because she just changed his life and that sort of thing. Um, and they, they realize that this might be their end to get into the palace. So, the party and Tyranny get it, follow this young man, they get into the palace, they meet a whole bunch of people in the palace, um... And they learn about the king, who everyone says isn't really a bad person. He's just kind of sad all the time. Um, and they learn about the king's right hand. Um, her name is Jokira Joar. And they receive conflicting information about her. Some people say she's terrible and mean. Some people say she's not that bad. Um, and they're not really sure what to believe. But either way, they're going to go meet the king. Um, so they follow a guard, and the guard traps them inside a magic hall of mirrors. Um, they solve the puzzles, get out of the magic hall of mirrors, and they enter the throne room, where they find another mirror, which is a mirror of life trapping that holds the king hostage inside. In trying to figure out how to release the king from the mirror, Tierney also gets sucked into it. Uh, so that's a whole thing that we have to deal with. 
He and the thing about the thing about Tyranny getting trapped in the mirror that I love is like the king has been trapped in this mirror for what, like ten years? Okay. Tyranny's in there for like two seconds and it's like, I was in there for so long. He writes a song later on that's like, I was in there for so long, you guys let me out, and it's the funniest thing to me, because it's like, calm down. <laughs> he is so extra. So extra, so good. So they release the king from the mirror. The king uh So in this episode Sayersha whips out the king's full name, and I am still impressed that they knew that. Um, the king's name is Crystal Antolio Fortwith II. You did have uh, a handout for that one. I did, but I'm impressed that they mon- managed to look at it. Um, <laughs> Don't drag our players on this nice recap. No, I mean, no. I. This episode was not great for remembering like the plot that I constructed, <laughs> but it was really, really good at remembering details that I constructed. Like, yeah. Y'all were y'all were so impressive this uh, this arc, you know, remembering like these tiny details like the name. So it's not I'm not dragging Lou. I'm I remain as always impressed with their ability to pull forth details out of my bullshit. <laughs> um, so Crystal Fortwith um is mm, let me try to say things that were said in the podcast rather than things that I know because I wrote it. Yes, um, yeah, that's I just want to preface like. we've been really trying really hard like the two of us have talked about backstory and like behind the dm curtain and like everything for so long since we started this but like we were really we're really trying for this recap episode to only talk about canon things that happened in the arcs in the episodes um as much as we want to peek behind the curtain we also don't want to confuse anybody so more than normal more than i realize the plot is confusing but we're getting there um the king is not currently possessed by the Lich Queen. Um, she alternates back and forth between possessing people, and when he's not in use as a puppet, he is put back in the mirror. So He's also being forced to sing via suggestion. Um, yeah. Which, I don't know if you mentioned that when you're talking about him being in the mirror, I, but... I didn't. Because <laughs> I just... I, I'm not even going to say anything. Just, like, listen to the arc to just listen to the king sing. And then... The poor king's voice after he's out of the mirror. Good lord. Yeah. Yeah. I do like a raspy whisper because he's been singing for like seven hours straight. Uh, and then I couldn't talk. Me, Daniel, couldn't talk for like two days after that. It was great. Um, <laughs> so the king explains like he's not always possessed by the lich. Um, sometimes she's here. Sometimes she's in her hometown where she's from. Um, the lich queen's home base is Parabor. Um which is, of course, the hometown of our party. And then Sayersha says, <laughs> is the Lich Queen Ina Garten? Which, if you now, don't remember... <laughs> Ina Garten... Okay, so back when we first started playing, I decided that I did not like the name of the governess of Parabor, so I made a joke that it was Ina Garten. And then somewhere along the way, I thought it would be funny if Ina Garten was the Lich Queen. So I did, in fact, make the Barefoot Contessa the Lich Queen, uh, which Lou said as a joke, but was actually correct. Which is very funny. So they discover that the the governess of their hometown is the Lich Queen. Um, So the king leads them kind of out of the palace, kind of toward the necromancers. Because he does make the same, he's like, part of me is hoping that we'll get out of here without any trouble, and part of me is hoping that we'll run into the necromancers so that you'll kill them. 
Um, and they do run into the necromancers, uh, Bellis Nemine and Jokira Jawar. Bellis teleports away almost immediately when they run into her, but Jokira stays behind to fight the party. Um, and the fight does not go as well as it could have because I made a lot of poor decisions playing as Jokira. Um, <laughs> but they, they, Jokira becomes the third necromancer that they actually kill. To be fair, they never we never actually see Jakira die because what happens is they stick her in the bottom of a hole and put a fireball on her head, and then the king folds up the portable hole and puts it in his pocket and says, that's a tomorrow problem. Um, Ixon says that's a tomorrow problem, but yes. <laughs> uh, but Jokira is dead, so she becomes the next necromancer that they kill. Um, and the king says, as a favor... To you, um, I'll burn my last spell slot to send you to Parabor, where Bellis has gone to warn the Lich Queen that you're coming. Um, Tierney decides to stay behind to write his masterwork on what the magic assholes are really like, and to you know, kind of help the king rebuild and everything. Um, now, you may be wondering, is there a card in this arc? Well, you bet your boots there's a card <laughs> in this arc, my dude. Um, the card was also stored in the mirror with the king. And before we could have a whole in-depth, like, who will take on this burden of the card? Uh, Tierney snatches it. Just takes it. Like, I mean, I, I, I said, there's a card lying on the ground. And he was like, I take it. <laughs> With no discussion, nothing. Just took it. Oh, man. And what's um, really funny is, like, in the episode, all of us, like, visibly freak out. And Jack's like, should I not? And we're like, you did it already. You gotta, like, follow too through. Too late. You did it now. <laughs> um, the, car the card is the Flames card, which um, basically puts a demon on your back to torment you until it decides that you should die or you somehow kill it. Um, so Tierney is now going to be tormented by a devil for the rest of his days, which is fabulous because I don't have to deal with that in my game, but he does in his life. Um, so that, that helped me out a lot. It's also very like indicative of the artist's life. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Tierney decides to stay behind, deal with the devil, uh, kind of help the king. Cause now the king is going to have to figure out how to rule without being puppeted by a lich. Um, and, the party decides that they are going to be teleported to Parabor. Um, so that is how the, um, that's how the Flames arc ends. Um, which brings us to episode 27, which is Crash Landing. The first of the next arc, which I'm not going to say because we don't know what card it is yet. Ooh. Um, you don't know. But, I know. <laughs> um, the arc seven, um, I still can't believe that Crash Landing is where we left it off because I, I just know. finished listening to it and the cliffhanger is a bitch. I know. I felt so bad. I really, I honestly did not <laughs> think my hiatus would be this long. Like, I wanted to grab 28 very, very quickly and it just did not work out. Um, so... But it happens. Yeah, it happens. And hopefully, if you're listening to this recap episode, you have the ability to also go and listen to 27 um, at least 27 if at, not further yeah, back yeah because it'll it'll kind of jump you right back into what happens in 27 to bring you into 28 um 
it there's a yeah there's a lot of heavy stuff um and yeah i don't want to like spoil it too much but just it's probably as dark as we've gone in any of the other episodes um it does the the arc does get a little silly at some point because that is just it's us. us but it is it is pretty heavy um further on which i'm very excited about like there's there's a lot of good stuff that happens in this arc so i'm excited to kind of like see what everybody thinks about the rest of the episodes i believe arc seven is um 27 28 29 and 30 is arc seven um yep. so there should be three more episodes before we are done with arc seven um i am planning on when i say this knowing that I just spent a whole year on hiatus, I am planning on doing first Friday of the month uploads again, which is why we're actually doing the episode, the recap episode today, because if we go a month from the last, the pre- last previous two episodes, it was Halloween and show swap, which were on the last Friday of the month. So because this is the last Friday of December, we're doing an episode and then we're going to go back to first Fridays of the month in January. Um, and from there uh, should be first Friday of the month. Um, I did really quickly want to talk about just kind of um, the things that we have available for interacting with us because being able to when you interact with us about our show um, it's really genuinely very helpful because Mm -hmm. you're showing us that you like what we're doing and you're kind of showing other people, especially like if you retweet on Twitter or talk about it on Facebook or wh- wherever you talk about it, you're showing other people that you also are interested in what we're doing. Um, I brought up the Discord and I'm I know that there's I know I have a a, a bit.ly link and I want to find it so that I can bring it up because the Discord's been pretty dead since I went on hiatus and I would love to bring it back. Like there's no reason why we can't bring it back and t- and chat more in the Discord. Um, because I think that that's a great place to bring people together for a community. There's a spoilers chat like channel that you can talk about stuff. We talk about some behind-the-scenes stuff. There's some old, um, if you want to scroll through some like old chats, we did some um, behind-the-scenes chats with guests after an arc with them ended. Um, not all of them, and I don't think we're going to be able to do all of them, but there's some old ones if you want to see some fun behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, so I brought it up. It is bit.ly slash discord. So very easy to go on over. Um, but that's not the most important one. Like, if you're not a Discord person, do not worry. Do not worry about it. Um, but we do have a Twitter, which is twitter.com slash podcast, and Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast. Um, should be the same pretty much every platform. Um, you can even check out our page on the Pocket Podcast Network's uh, website. No dice. You can you can actually go to nodicepodcast.com and it will take you to our page. Um, I do need to refresh it a little bit, but uh, everything's kind of there. Um, and just like thank you so much for listening. If you're new, if you're listening to this recap episode and you're new, buckle up, boy howdy, buckle up. <laughs> Um, it is a little dark in this arc seven. It's a little, it's a little heavy. We're not usually that heavy, but we have kind of come into like some big plot points. It's code name is the torture arc and it's not for nothing, but it does, it, it, it is still no dice. So it's still, we got goofs and yeah. you know, so it's not completely awful and terrible. Um, yeah. 
but we're doing some from this point forward we're going to be doing some really cool stuff not only with arc 7 but also with arc 8 and all the other arcs moving forward so i'm really excited to get back into it um i appreciate everyone hanging in with us during this hiatus i appreciate everyone who interacts uh it's not just interacting you are shaping the way that the campaign runs by your interaction uh, and i'm not talking about just like because we name characters after you know listeners because that's a D podcast thing yeah um but we also like your interaction and reaction to things that i say shapes other things going forward yeah um so you you know, as much as D&D is collaborative within the players, it's also collaborative within the larger community when you're doing it on a platform like this. Um, I also appreciate um, Hugh and Lou for and Brittany for hanging in, you know, and, <laughs> you know, hanging in on the hiatus and being, you know, ready and excited to play again once I get my shit together and we can. And I appreciate Brittany so much for being willing to... Um, do the enormous work that it takes to edit this podcast and you know take out all of my stupid shit um <laughs> listen seriously no i jacked up i jacked up the big puzzle in the middle of arc five uh-huh like i jacked up the the the, the big puzzle so bad and Brittany edited the podcast where i sound like a genius <laughs> um, so i appreciate all of the hard work that Brittany does to make us look even better than we are naturally um and uh, I am I am excited that she is thriving in her art, but I am excited that that thriving in her art means that she can get back to our podcast too. Yeah, I have a so, bit of a like lull right now, so hopefully it shouldn't <laughs> it shouldn't take pick up too more. But um, I actually I'm I'm really excited about um, this next arc uh, going forward. I'm having a little bit of help in terms of editing and design and stuff, so hopefully that should make up for kind of the wait. Hopefully. Um, and the other, be awesome. the other thing that I'm planning on doing is at least for 28 is, um, I'm planning on doing no commercial break, um, just kind of acknowledgement right at the end of some of the elements involved. So, um, cause I know every episode thus far has had, well, aside from, I think the Halloween episodes, um, and the show swap have had a commercial break because like we've had a lot of stuff going on and it's really great for us to kind of reiterate, Hey, we've got social media and all that stuff. Like come join us. Um, and there was some really cool announcements about projects that we've done. Um, but I think that like, as my gift to the listeners, just here's the narrative all the way through. Um, I, I, I don't know if I'll, I'll pick up on commercial breaks again or not, because like right now, the most important thing to me is getting you guys. And by you guys, I mean, the listeners, the story, because that's, that's what we're in it for. And just having that ability to share that is so rewarding. Um, and so I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But if you, if you actually like hearing me talk in the commercial break, by all means, let me know, but also don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do what I do, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, it's I'm super excited about the stuff coming up. Like I, if I was able to keep up the pace, I would release the episodes sooner. But I want to set myself up for success, so we are still doing monthly releases, so that then when we get to the fun stuff, it's even more impactful. So that's the idea. That's the plan. Yay. Yay. Any last words? 
Gorgonzola? (laughs) Gorgonzola Archipelago. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.